coming to you from Michigan, USA, and listened to by people all over the planet. Get ready to be safe and sound with Sean Sparkman. Sparkman. Never take your eyes off your opponent, even when you bomb. Hello and welcome to the Safe and Sound podcast. This is Sean Sparkman. I am really excited to be bringing to you today Bill Broach out of the West Coast. And Bill, it's really nice to have you on the show. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are? Hey, thanks a lot, Sean. I appreciate being on it and hopefully have some fun at it. (laughs) I think we will. I've been in the insurance business a long, long time and I accidentally, I discovered a whole new world of annuities. And that was about uh, 30 years ago, and uh, I embraced the product. I thought it made great sense, and I thought it was something that uh, would benefit an awful lot of people. I was able to retool my business towards that uh, marketplace. And along the way, I've met an awful lot of nice people who have become clients and an awful lot of nice agents who have become, we've become associated with. And it's, it's really worked. I love the products. I love the industry. I love the benefits they provide and so on and so forth. And kind of the reason I got headed into the insurance business, I wanted to have something that I could do, uh, be a, an entrepreneur with and to where my, the results of my efforts would, would match up with, with my success at it. And it's always worked. So it's been so something that's been a natural for me and uh, I've, I've really, really enjoyed it. That's pretty cool. You know, that's kind of the same reason that I got in the insurance industry myself. You know, be your own boss, but also have the ability to help people at the same time. And I know that's a big thing for you, right? Absolutely. Uh, when I was starting, I would have a couple of agents came by and asked me how I was running the business and how I was marketing and how I was finding uh, the, the right people to talk to. And I showed them and kind of word of mouth. Pretty soon there was half a dozen and there was 20. And so it just it kind of built, it kind of built, and uh, the wave kind of started to swell from there, and it's been just just great. I've, I've a lot of great uh, marketing partners, and I've really enjoyed it. Something I always bring up on every episode of my podcast is failure, and I, I do that because I believe <laughs> I I believe that it's the key to success. At the end of the day, you can't you can't do anything important without failure, right? What is something that you failed at in, in your long life in your business life, your family, whatever you want to share. Sure, sure. Happy to do it. Well, um, I always thought when I was in college and afterwards that the the, uh, the perfect job for me to have would to was to, from a farming angle, was to be in the apple business. And so when I was out of college and trying to figure out what to do, I decided to grow apples. And I started out pretty well, and I was able to acquire a few other orchards in my hometown, which is Emmett, Idaho. One thing about farming and one thing about growing fruit is you are very susceptible to bad weather. And I had two or three pretty awful years in there where frost and and terrible weather got me, and I I just absolutely failed that. And finally, I, I ended up selling the the ranches that I I had acquired and wanted because I I just couldn't financially continue on and so I always looked at it as a failure but looking back at it you know that uh, really I did things that uh, lots of other people haven't had the opportunity to do in doing that and it's inspired me to go on and try and improve and do other things uh, that and the fact that I always wanted to be a professional golfer and I realized <laughs> later in life <laughs> that was that was not going to happen so 
Uh, I play golf for fun now. Out of curiosity, if there wasn't bad weather in those years, would you still be an apple farmer? You know, I, I probably wouldn't. I I love growing them, but I it was uh, I like doing other things. I like to promote things and, and think of new ideas and so on and so forth. So I probably wouldn't have. But it was a great phase. My dad's closest friend had an apple ranch, and I've always loved going out there to it. And that's where I think I initially got the idea for it. I'd have probably probably done them something else, I suppose. But who knows? You know. I, the thing is, when you get to the end of your life, the last thing I promised myself I would never do is, and that would be to say, I wished I would have. And so for me, adventures and new things to do, new people to meet, and is really why, uh, really what drives me all the time. Uh, do, do you still like apples? <laughs> I do. <laughs> you know, you always hear the stories that somebody starts doing something, and after a while, you know, they don't like it anymore. So. Yeah, no, no, no. I always love I I never, uh, every time I happen to be in apple country, I always love looking at them and stuff like that. So, but it, they've evolved and changed. Everything's changes. They even changed in the apple business. You know, I guess it's, it comes into two levels. One, it'd be your personal life and your family and your children and so on and so forth. I am blessed to have two, uh, two wonderful sons. One, uh, they're both actually in their 40s right now. And then later in life, I was 44 years old and uh, the blessing of my life came along with the form of a little girl. And that little girl is named Annie and she's now 29 and out of college and has a great job and has a has a great partner and the uh, they're in the tech business she works for Amazon and he works for uh, Boeing and when I think back about things that bring me the greatest joy and the that I'm most proud of is I'm probably most proud of her and, and what she's done because she came along at a time when I was I thought gee if I could just have one more chance and then wham there she is and so it's been great from a business standpoint I've had tremendous success and I don't mean to, I'm not saying that from a, a bragging standpoint I'm just saying I've been fortunate to have great partners and I've been fortunate to be in the right place at the right time and I've been able to maximize my efforts not only in sales results but in uh, in in partners and and friends so it's a it's been it's been just great so i guess there's there's the things i'm most proud of i suppose so when it came to financial planning and helping people plan for their retirement why did you choose to focus on the insurance product aspect of it instead of some of the other avenues you know i went, i wondered about that lots of times because uh, what i like most about uh, annuities and uh, about whole life life insurance and uh just everybody not, may not know, but whole life is, is an insurance policy that you use for your whole life. And that's where, where the term comes from. And what I liked about that when I was actively selling life insurance was because of the guarantees. The premium was guaranteed and the death benefits guaranteed. And so that was important to me. But on the other side, when I discovered the benefits of annuities and I discovered that the guarantees that come with them, uh, that's that's exactly what I what I thought was the best. I never have to cross the street when I meet somebody. Sometimes they are the most boring products in the world, but they're the ones that will always be there. And so my focus on retirement planning has never been anything at risk. It's always been everything that has that has guarantees with it. And that's that's been my driving force. And if I had 
if I had it to do all over again, I would do exactly the same thing. I would, wouldn't focus on how much yield there is and how much uh, all that stuff, how much you can make. I would focus on the benefits that annuities provide and that safety, security, guarantees. You can never run out of money. And that's why I'm in it. Uh, I own annuities. That's how I keep my money. And, and that's why I try and convey to, to my clients. Yeah, and I've heard you say many times that everyone flees to safety at some point. So can you talk a little bit about why you said you say that? Yeah, isn't it true, Lo? Uh, everybody runs to safety at one time in their life. And that's when uh, it could be based on your age. It could be based on the amount of money. It could be based on health, health issues. It could be based on concerns and worry. You know, you think about fear. You know, uh, an infant is only born with two fears, and that's fear of height and fear of loud sound. But as we progress through life, you know, more fears pop into our head and uh, things like, you know, gee, am I going to get a date to the prom or gee, all these things go, but you come right down to the end of it, closer to the to the end of your life, you're really right back to fear and you're back to about, you know, will I have enough money to live? Am I relevant? You know, all those sort of things. And so safety comes into that. Sean, you know, it's not how much money you have. So it's not the pile of money. It's how much money you have every month. And even if you spend every dollar you you take in that month, guess what? It comes again the next the next month. And so safety of our products really are why I, they, they do that. They, they reduce that problem and they reduce stress. And so when you can reduce stress, you're going to have a chance at a happier and a long, longer life. You know, and that's where the peace of mind comes from. And if you don't have to worry about money because it's coming next month, you know, then life gets a lot simpler off, awfully fast. Question for you. There is a lot of confusion out there about myths, about annuities, how they work, what they can and right. can't do. I've heard horror stories and I've heard really great stories. So can you clean up some of the confusion for the average person <laughs> that's listening? Yeah, when I started, I was uh, the products I sold, which were are these boring, safe, secure, guaranteed products, and uh, I was always picked on by the stockbrokers and the financial planners that said you need to be more and more and more in the market, and we were looked at as the the bastard stepchild, I guess is a one way of putting it, because they were. Uh, and so many, so many stories start. One story that I, uh, and, and maybe at one time, years and years and years ago, is uh, one of the things is if you put your money within an, in an annuity and you die, the insurance company keeps your money. Really? You know, the thing is about insurance companies, they don't want your money. And that may be a shock to everybody that listens to this. They don't want their money. They just want to hold your money. They don't want it. They can't keep your money. It's against the law. If you died, that money goes whatever the contract is to whomever you designated to it. And so if all they want to do is hold the money, heck, somebody's got to hold the money anyway. It could be a bank or it could be a stockbroker or it could be whatever. So you allow them to hold the money in return to what? You know, to receive that the the benefits that they that they provide. The other thing that's like me for years, I was always fighting with brokers. Is that, you know, if you put your money in there, they'll pay you a really high interest the first year, and the next five or six years they won't pay you very much, and you're gonna, you're going to be taken advantage of. And that that just couldn't be that couldn't be more inaccurate. In Washington State, where I started, there was there was guaranteed minimum interest that insurance companies had to pay, and even the guaranteed minimum interest was far higher and what was available to banks at that time. But insurance companies don't want to do that. They want to make their margins, hold your money, and provide the benefits they pay. So there's probably zillions of others, but those are the first couple of things that kind of come to, to my mind. Well, why 
do you think there is so much misinformation out there? It's simple. It's a simple thing. The misinformation comes from the people who don't want you to buy an annuity because those are the people who want movement in money. And if you think about it, what does a, a broker want more than anything? He wants transactions. What does a wirehouse, what does the, the, big, the big companies, what do they want? They want movement. Every time there's money in movement, there's compensation uh, that can be available. Our products are buy and hold products. When someone buys an annuity, that money doesn't float around. It stays in the insurance company and it's invested in whatever the insurance company's general portfolio fund is, which are mostly bonds. So it's not money in movement and the broker and Wall Street can't get their grimy little hands on it. So naturally they hate it. What's interesting though is many of these Wall Street firms now that have criticized and complained are now jumping in the annuity business. The answer is why? Or the question is why? And the answer is simple. It's because that's what people want. They want safety, security, income they can't outlive, so on and so forth. And uh, anyway, that's that's kind of my, my view on it. Right. And there, you know, there's a lot of products that are available out there. Lumped into some different categories, but the two main categories that I see a lot of are a variable annuity versus a right. fixed index annuity. Can you explain in simple terms what those are? Sure. So a variable annuity is really under the the annuity banner for tax deferral. But what it really is, is uh, the money is really not at the insurance company. The money is invested in what's called separate accounts. If the person owns a variable annuity, maybe they have money in the stock market or maybe they have money in the bond market or they have money in real estate investment trusts, whatever the options are. That money is not at the insurance company. So the only way the insurance company can generate any kind of revenue is to charge fees. And when you look at the fees associated with most variable annuities, they are disgusting. They are absolutely disgusting. If, if a person really knew what the fee structure was, they would, no one would ever buy those things. They're complacent and the fees are horrible on it. With the products that we sell, which are uh, multi-year guaranteed annuities and fixed income annuities, if they are fixed indexed annuities, pardon me, the money is at the insurance company. So the insurance company is holding the money and for that they're providing the benefits. And that's why there are virtually no fees associated with them. That being said, there are some additional add-on benefits you can add to them that there are fees charged to it. All the money goes to work and, and virtually without many exceptions, there are no fees associated with it. Sometimes the fees on variable annuities can be 3 or 4% per year. And when you're giving away 3 or 4% per year, it's not just the interest you're giving away is the loss of that compounding of the money for whatever time period you have it there. It's it's usury. It's absolutely usury. That's my view on it. Even though their variable annuities are called annuities, they really aren't exactly the products that, that they aren't even close to the products we provide. So why would somebody choose to do that product over, say, a fixed indexed annuity or a multi-year guaranteed annuity? It could be bells and whistles. It could be sizzle and not steak. It could be how it's presented. And I, I assume, I assume, Sean, there's some products out there that in the variable annuity side that might might fulfill a need that our products don't. I don't really know what that would be, but I think it's mostly people bond with somebody, with a salesperson or with somebody they think they trust or they do trust, and they follow along with it. So a uh, a person selling securities doesn't want to sell fixed index annuities. They want to sell things that generate revenue. And when someone sells you a variable annuity, almost all these contracts, they have annual income from that. They get kickbacks on some of the fees. And so it's just a long-term source of revenue, revenue for them. The only thing, only thing I 
do is just people just trust the broker or trust the salesman and uh, and listen to that side of it. But I, I, I always wonder how in the world is somebody would somebody do that? But anyway, I think it's lack of information, I suppose. What are some of the drawbacks or downfalls of you know putting your money into an annuity? The drawback is simple: is the insurance company is going to hold your money, and so if you buy an annuity that's safer. Two years, a MIGA, a multi-year guarantee, they're going to hold your money for. Five years, same thing. But what if you buy uh, fixed index annuities where the the insurance company is going to hold your money for 10 years? And you think 10 years is a long time, but wait a minute. You have to look at what's behind that 10-year contract. As an example, that annuity has to be backed up dollar for dollar with reserves at the insurance company. And so what is the, is the insurance company buying mostly for these guarantees? They're buying bonds. And the highest percentage of bonds they own are what? U.S. Treasuries. So U.S. Treasuries are 10, are 10 years long. That's what the, the standard of the insurance industry is, a 10-year treasury. So when you buy a 10-year treasury, what happens if you have to sell that for some unknown reason out in the future? It could be worth less than what you paid for it based on what interest rates are. So the money, the reserves that back up annuities are based upon that. So the insurance company has to have some way of making sure they can get to the end of that period uh, so that they don't get, they don't face massive losses on it. So they, they time to the 10 year treasury. Now to, as benefits to the people that buy it, look, there's lots of ways you can do it. You can, I'm just speaking in general, you can take 10% of your account value out every year. Sometimes some companies allow you to, if you don't take it out, to roll it forward so you can take more out. You can convert that product to income without penalty at any time you want in the future on most contracts. And death, death ends it. So these products do have ways of stopping them. Your free withdrawal, the income issue, and the end of life issue. These contracts, these call it become null and void at that point. Anyway, that's kind of how I look at it. You know, one of the things that I have heard, I'm sure you've heard it, is that somebody might have the fear of putting a large portion of their money in one place. You know, the the old uh, what happens if the insurance company fails? There have been three three failures in the insurance industry uh, since I've been in it. One was Executive Life, one was Baldwin United, and the third one was an East Coast company that slips my mind. But in those cases, every company that does business in a state, their contracts are really reinsured by all the other companies that do business in that state. And they're controlled, that loss risk, the risk of loss scenario is really covered by the state where the policy is issued. And that's called the state guarantee fund. So the state guarantee fund, uh, I'll speak of Washington because that's where I'm most familiar, has a guarantee fund of $500,000. So that means that if the insurance company were to fail, if, if an uh, annuity company were to fail, that contract would have a guarantee, underlying guarantee of $500,000. Now, where does the state get the money? They get it from the other the other companies that are doing business within the state, that particular state of residence, and in my case, state of Washington. So as long as the contract is within those guidelines, there's no worry. But think about it a little bit more. Insurance companies are the most highly regulated, I would guess, of any industry in, in the world. The only thing that might be more is maybe like nuclear power plants might be regulated more. But they're <laughs> high, highly, highly regulated. And you don't have Washington, D.C. sticking their fat little grubby fingers in it because annuities are regulated by what? By each state department of insurance. And so in order to do business in that state, it has to pass an incredibly rigorous financial audit 
that proves that they can cover their reserves and they can cover their liabilities on it. And so it's in the three failures that, that happened, not one person lost a cent. Not one person lost a cent. Even when Executive Life failed, not one person lost a cent because all the other insurance companies guaranteed their performance. And uh, I, I wouldn't, I have no worry about it. I have, have all of my money in annuities and I, I have never, ever, ever would I have the least bit of concern about uh, about failure to it. There's a couple of pieces of information there I didn't know. You know, every day you learn something new. So that's why I love yeah. every conversation I have with you. There's another part of retirement planning that's very important. And I want you to speak a little bit about it. And that's long-term care and how it can affect someone's retirement. Yeah. Long-term care is nasty. If you look at, at the escalation of the cost of long-term care, and you look at the amount of uh, what it costs to care for a person, it's staggering. Uh, in California, where I currently am right now, the average cost is, is close to $9,000 a month. And so how the assets of that particular person are looked at, are, it varies state by state. Of the 50 states, 29 of the states operate off of one set of rules and the balance operate off of another. But long-term care is a dangerous, nasty thing and uh, something we have to be totally concerned about. In California, for instance, if your house, it might seem ridiculous, but uh, the prices in California are ridiculous. But if your house is worth more than 840000 and I know 840000 across America is in Washington and Idaho, or I'm from Idaho, buys a heck of a house. But in California, it doesn't. So let's just use that ridiculously inflated number. If your house is worth more than 840000 and you don't have any other assets other than that, you and your spouse, even, even the well spouse, has to sell that house. That's the state demands it. You have to spend your money, your, spend your money down. So long-term care planning is not done for the ill spouse. It's done for the well spouse. And so how you plan that so because the life has to go on. And when somebody is sick or someone passes away, the well spouse faces medical bills, faces liens on their property, faces redu reduction in income, uh, all those things. So how do you protect yourself? Well, there are annuities that have long-term care riders on it. There are life insurance policies that have long-term care riders on it. And by the way, that's some one of the best products to come along in a, in a long time is a life insurance policy with a long-term care rider on it. It's a, it's a really great way to use warehouse money. And warehouse money is money set aside for some future yet unknown use. And if you just let, pop it into a life insurance policy that has one of these riders, you can prepay your long-term care with just money sitting sitting in the bank. If you buy a policy, for instance, a long-term care policy, remember in, in America, long-term care contracts are not guaranteed premiums. So the insurance company, uh, with permission from the Department of Insurance, which they never don't, they never deny it, can have increased premiums. And increased premiums uh, on these things can be, can be really awful. I have a really good friend that about 20 years ago bought a long-term care policy and is around $1,200 a year. And the other day she told me the premium was 9800 because wow. the premiums have to adjust the liability issue. And so the big problem that insurance companies made years and years ago is when they, obviously they priced them based upon how long people keep life insurance policies. And they didn't expect people to keep long-term care policies as long as they have in force, which means more claims and more costs and so 
so on and so forth. So long-term care is a nasty issue. I, you have to really look at all of your assets and decide what you want to do uh, and hope they make sense. And that, that requires great, great planning. Were I going to start right now and buy, protect myself against long-term care, I would do it with a life insurance policy where I deposit warehouse money that had the long-term care rider on it. I think it's, uh, I think it's one of the few really great opportunities we, we have. And when that money comes out of there, it's tax-free. If they have to take it out for long-term care, it's a, it's a tax-free benefit. So there are other dangers to it. Sorry, that's a really long answer off of it. Hey, you know that's what? a that really a co- great, complicated question. That was a great question. answer. Hey, Bill, I, yeah. I forgot to ask you, how old are you? I'm 73. Well, I should have said and, how young, uh, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, let, let me... Let me tell you a little secret. I still work every day. I never intend to retire. And this year, I am walking the Camino de Santiago, which is 509 miles across Spain for my fourth time. And wow. I intend to walk it every day. And you walk with a backpack and walk up and down hills all day. But I intend to walk it every year the rest of my life. So I might be 73, but heck, I can still play football for Boise State if they'd only call me. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the uh, coolest adventure you've ever been on? Oh yeah, that's the the Camino. It's yeah. a pilgrimage. It's a it's a every time I do it, it's life changing. So yeah, it's a pretty pretty cool little trip. How did you first get into doing that pilgrimage? You know, when my mother passed away, we made a family pilgrimage to Lourdes to take her ashes there. And Lourdes is in the Pyrenees in France. And on that trip, we had uh, some people tell us about this pilgrimage and. It started, actually started, the first recording of it was in the year 900. St. Francis walked it in 1206 about this ancient pilgrimage. And so I always, now it's been in uh, about 1995, and I'd always known about it. And uh, when my daughter went to, where she went to Dominican University in California, and there, there are uh, nuns that teach, or there are professors there, and one of them had walked the Camino, and she said, Dad, remember when we heard about it? So, And once she told me that, I couldn't get out of my head, and so one thing leads to another. And Every year, I'd gone for six weeks with my backpack, Sean. <laughs> hey, that's pretty cool. But you can still, you, call, me. You can still call me if you want. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> do you uh, stay in hotels, or you stay, you camp, or how do you do it? No, I stay in hostels. They're called albergues. And okay. uh, it takes me 42 days to walk across. It's very rocky and it's very uphill, downhill. There's there's nothing glamorous about it. It is a brutal walk. Try and get to a hostel. Try to get there by three or four every day. So and I sleep in rooms with between 20 and 40 of my of my best friends, and uh, <laughs> and it's a humbling experience. <laughs> but and then when I get to a big, there are three big cities on the commuter towns. There not there's no cities out there. I always try and get a hotel so I can have a private shower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet. Someday so, I'll tell you all the stories. Well, Bill, what are you curious about going forward in life? You know, I, I happen to be a person who's kind of concerned about the economy. The deficit that this country's facing is overwhelming. I don't have a clue what that's going to happen, but there's nothing I can do about that. So my what my motivation in life is to is to stay as healthy as I can, to walk as much as I can. I I have a love growing flowers. I have a beautiful flower garden, and so what I'm trying to do is take care of myself and my family and my neighbors and my community, and and contribute to the American way of life by taking care of the things that are within my reach and things that I can help on a 
on a, on a local basis. And I can't change the administration's views on everything with regards to who the administration is, but I can vote and I can help my neighbor take his garbage out at night. So there you go. So is there anything I should have asked you and I didn't ask? <laughs> you know, I'm not sure. But I'm not sure how long this <laughs> recording. No, you know, uh, if I uh, I think the annuity business is, is the best business in the world, and I think people who enter it the earlier in life, I think, would ha- are going to have a lot more enjoyment and a lot more feelings of real accomplishment through their lives. And uh, you are more than welcome to ask me anything at any time. And, and you're more than welcome to sometime if you want to hear more about all the other stuff. I'm happy, happy to do it. But I guess I've kind of told you everything and <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Well, Bill, you know, this was a really fun conversation. I really appreciate you coming on the show. If yeah. people want to learn more about you, where can they go? You can go to my website, which is annuity.com. And I own that website. And uh, by the way, it's the second oldest financial website on the internet. I've owned it forever and ever. If you want to have more fun, you can go to Google and you can search Camino, Camino de Santiago. The Camino originally was walked by pagans when they would fall in August in, in Spain. The uh, sky is—you can see the Milky Way—and there's a there's—you actually see the Camino in the sky, and it's a path. And pagans started walking it back thousands of years ago. So there's a lot of information there. But if you want to know about my other passion, just simply Google Boise State football. You know, there's my there's my whole life annuities, the Camino, and Boise State football. You said you're still waiting for the call, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, thank you for listening to the Safe and Sound podcast. My name is Sean Sparkman, your host. We're always going to be bringing you very interesting people from all across the country in different avenues of life. That way you can build a safe and sound lifestyle. Thanks for listening to Safe and Sound Radio with Sean Sparkman. Sean Sparkman. If you have questions or would like to suggest a topic for future shows, contact Sean at 313 313- 246-9278 or visit the website at www.safeandsoundretirement.net That's www.safeandsoundretirement.net I must leave.